And if you would, let's take our Bibles and go to Romans chapter 10. We are moving right along. After how many months now? I don't even know. But uh, Romans chapter 10, and uh, we've, got, uh, we've still got a good ways to go. We've got to get all the way through chapter 16. So uh, we'll, we'll see if, if um, the Lord slows it down through uh, these remaining chapters as we begin to investigate more of what, uh, what Paul is saying in this letter. Now, again, I remind you, and I'll do it periodically as we go through, but um, as we look at the books of the Bible and as we read through them, um, whether it, you know, it's the Gospels or especially, especially the writings uh, of Paul by the leading of the Holy Spirit, uh, you understand as you look at the book of Romans, uh, we break it down or we see it in our Bibles uh, uh, in chapters and in verses, which again, that breakdown of chapters and verses, uh, number one, it allows for a much easier form to, uh, to memorize if you want to memorize different passages of Scripture. It also uh, breaks down in a form for being able to, to see content-based um, categorization of, of, of um, focus, because you'll find with each chapter, sometimes they, they piggyback with each other, sometimes uh, from one chapter to another, it will, it will transition in thought. And, uh, but you have to understand as we look at it, just keep in mind that the best way to understand the uh, entirety of what you're studying when you're looking at a book of the Bible is to uh, comprehend how it would have been given when it was originally written and handed to those who it was intended for. Uh, this wasn't a book of the Bible, per se, when it was written. Uh, the Holy Spirit uh, led Paul, and through the, the guidance of the Holy Spirit, as the Bible says, that holy men of God spake as they were moved by the Holy Ghost. And so Paul um, spake through, through uh, word and through pen. And I, I will say this, it might be a little history lesson for you. Um, you say, well, hold on a second. The, the, the writing of it, of a letter, is not speaking. Well, you also have to understand that many times, um, Paul did not write with his own hand, but Paul spoke and he had someone who was traveling with him, someone who was a helper in the ministry, another young man that possibly was being discipled and trained. And Paul mentions some of them in different books that he's written, uh, to, or different letters to the churches, he mentions different ones as to um, uh, the, the one who would have actually penned the letter while Paul spoke what is to be penned. So Paul dictated out what is to be said, and the individual would write as he spoke. And so even in that scenario, you understand that the Bible is still true, that holy men of God spake, whether they were preaching or whether they were given uh, dictation of what is to be written, holy men of God spake as they were moved by the Holy Ghost. And therefore, the Word of God, all Scripture being inspired, God-breathed by the leading of the Holy Spirit using godly men that He chose to use in order to put His Word down. And so Paul has written 
uh, or, or ha- has, has orchestrated, you might say, by the leading of the Holy Spirit, the writing of the book of Romans, which is actually just a letter. And as that letter is being sent, we, we now see, uh, a, a, again, I, I'm not going to give you a full history lesson of when it took place and who did it and all that kind of stuff, but uh, there, there was uh, very, very much um, a painstaking care taken in the, the breakdown of chapters and verses. I do not hold to the idea that, uh, that the, the Bible is double, doubly inspired. If you hear somebody talk about a double inspiration, what they're saying is they're saying it was inspired of God by, by the original writers that God used to, to pen his word as the Holy Spirit led. And then it was also doubly inspired. Uh, the, the individuals who broke down the chapters and verses were just as inspired as the ones who wrote down God's word as he gave it. No, okay, I, I do not hold to that. Do I believe that God gave them great wisdom? Yes, do I believe he gave them great discernment of, of what would be um, a good way of breaking down the chapters and verses? Yes. Do I believe that he inspired the chapters and verses just as much as he inspired the writing of his word? No. All right. Um, God's word is what's pure. The chapters and verses is not what's pure, but it is helpful. Okay. And, that, and we, we understand and we quote Verses are our verse of the week. How would you know how to reference what, you were, what you're talking about if it was just one long letter and you don't know how to break it down? So it's very useful. But Paul, when he, when, when he was sending this to the, to the church there in Rome, uh, it is one long letter. So that's why things kind of continue from chapter to chapter at times uh, from one thought just continuing on into a, another thought as you go through the different chapters. But as we come out of chapter 9, I, I say all that just to kind of get us an understanding that, um, that you, you see uh, a, a bit of unity between chapter 9 and chapter 10 in Paul rehearsing in a short period of time almost the same thing, just wording it differently. In the starting of chapter 9, Paul says, I say the truth in Christ, I lie not, my conscience also bearing me witness in the Holy Ghost that I have great heaviness and continual sorrow in my heart, for I could wish that myself be accursed from Christ for my brethren, my kinsmen according to the flesh. So we talked about how Paul poured his heart out in his brokenheartedness for the fact that there are, there are those of the house of Israel they are, they are of the people of Israel that refuse uh, to accept Christ and they're holding on to the hope that somehow being an Israelite is what's, what's got them safe and secure for eternity. And Paul has to go in and once again try to seek to correct their thinking because there's nobody that understands the way they think better than him. I mean, a Pharisee of the Pharisees. I mean, he, he, he knew the law. He knew the writings. He also is of the same blood as, as them. He is a Hebrew as well. And so, therefore, no one understands the, the roadblocks for a, a Jewish individual to place their trust and faith in Jesus Christ and not in the law. No one understands the roadblocks better than Paul. Matter of fact, for a long time, he taught them how to make it a roadblock. He was one of the ones pushing that religion against Christ until the Lord uh, knocked him down 
blinded him and said, why persecutest thou me? I mean, God got his attention and changed his life completely. And now Paul is preaching of Christ and not against Christ. Now Paul is trying to, he was Saul, his name was changed to Paul. Now he is trying to get those of his own house, the children of Israel, to believe and understand it's not in what you can do for yourself, it is only in Christ. So he bears his heart in, in, in what we would say at the beginning of chapter 9, but as you're reading this letter, what you're seeing is he bears his heart out and then he speaks of some things that need to be spoken and then he bears his heart again and then he speaks and then he reveals his desire again. And that's what you see, chapter 9, his desire. Listen, I would, I would take the punishment if God would allow it. If I could take the punishment and it would guarantee that my brethren would be saved because I could take their punishment, I would be willing to do it. That's how heartbroken he was. And then you get over now to, to chapter 10, and, uh, and he starts in chapter 10 uh, presenting once again, at this point in the letter, just reiterating what his true heart's desire is. So, he, I mean, he's hit them pretty hard with what they're trusting in, and he's been pretty blunt with them. But every time Paul is blunt and every time Paul is straightforward and speaks some difficult truths to hear, he always follows up with his compassion and longing for those whom he's speaking to, to listen and be attentive and accept truth and not just reject it because, well, you know, that's just not what we do. It has nothing to do with what Israelites do. It has to do with what God said must be done. And he, his desire so bad that they would listen to him, see the truth, and respond appropriately to it. But with chapter 10, we're, we're going to look at the first four verses in just a moment, but let me do what I normally do. Each chapter, I believe, uh, can be broken down with a main theme and some key verses that, that really back up that theme uh, without having to read the entire chapter, you can read some key verses that kind of give you an idea of what the chapter would be about. So the main theme uh, of chapter 10, again, now it, Romans 10, um, this is where you get a lot of passages that we use in what, what is called the Romans Road. Uh, the, the, the giving of the gospel to show what the Bible says about accepting Christ as your Savior. Um, and and there, there are several verses that deal with it. We're going to look at some here in a minute, but you have uh, Romans 8, uh, 10, uh, you have 8, 9, and 10, you have Romans 10, 13. Um, Romans, we, we often, uh, you'll hear people talk about, preachers will preach on this one when it comes to missions conferences, uh, Romans 10, 14, and, or I should say uh, 14 and 15, um, and, uh, and then further on down even, it speaks some more Um with verse number 17, so then faith cometh by hearing and hearing by the word of God. So there's lots of, lots of, of verses within Romans chapter 10 that you often hear quoted or preached on or even used when giving the gospel, especially with the Romans road. So it, it, it is a rich chapter of the book of Romans. And so it's a rich point in the letter written to those at Rome 
and by, by Paul and, and the ones that are with him trying to, to teach truth to, uh, to some, honestly, most, most of them Jewish individuals that are just resisting Christ because they've been taught to resist him. They've been told to resist him. Our religion doesn't accept this Jesus Christ. And Paul's saying, and then if, if you reject and you listen to your religion, then you're going to reject the very one, the only one that can forgive you. And, uh, and so he goes in, and chapter 10 really does that. Here's the theme, all right? The main theme of chapter 10, chapter 10 here is the message and method of salvation. The message and method of salvation. Romans, I, I believe Romans 8, uh, Romans 10, verse 8 through verse number 10, uh, give the best um, overall look in just a short ma- uh, matter of verses uh, that you're going to find throughout the whole chapter. You could also go over to uh, 10, 13, 14 through 17. You could do all that too. But uh, 8, 9, and 10 actually give a very strong basis of what Paul focuses on in the chapter. Here's what it says. It says, but what saith it? In other words, what, what saith truth? What is truth? What, what is it that we know uh, of the truth concerning forgiveness and righteousness? The word, here it is, what saith it? The word is nigh thee. In other words, the truth, what you need to know is nigh thee, even in thy mouth and, uh, and in thy heart. That is the word of faith which we preach. Basically, he's saying, and we'll look at it more later, but he is, he is saying, you, you've heard, you've been taught. I mean, you, many of you could boast about how much you know concerning truth. You've heard it. You've seen it. You've even quoted it back to us. It's in your mouth. It is in your heart. That's why you're struggling with it, because it's there, and, and you just can't seem to get it out, and you're having a hard time qualifying what you've always been told with truth and you're having a hard time figuring out how they mesh when honestly the the truth is they don't you're trying to make it all mesh and you can't make it work because religion is teaching you to to reject Christ and yet truth is telling you he's the only way and uh, and so he's pointing that out to him so what saith that the word is nigh thee even in thy mouth and in thy heart That is the word of faith which we preach, and here's what he's saying they preach, and that's in their heart and in their mouth, that if thou shalt confess with thy mouth the Lord Jesus and shalt believe in thine heart that God hath raised him from the dead, thou shalt be saved. For with the heart man believeth unto righteousness, and with the mouth confession is made unto salvation. He's saying, in a nutshell, this is it, the message and the method of salvation. The message is Christ. The method is believing who he is, what he has done, and confessing with your mouth that he is Lord and he needs to be my Savior. It is, again, the, the belief, and boy, I, I got to try to stay, we're going to get there in a minute, but later on as we get to these verses, we're going to come back to it. But as a whole, the point of chapter uh, verse number 10 is that you can have the belief that it's true and yet so much pride that you just can't seem to bring yourself to confess 
that you repent and accept him. Oh, I believe it. Oh, I believe it. I believe it. I believe it. I believe it. Then confess that he is Lord and confess that you are unworthy and confess that you must have him as your Savior and accept through repentance and verbal speaking. I'm lost. I need to be saved. I need a Savior to forgive me because I can't forgive myself. I confess that only Christ is Lord, only He is the answer, and I choose Him and God's way for forgiveness. Believe all you want, and some people say, well, as long as you, as long as you believe it, you're saved. What may I say? The Bible says that, that you believe and you confess. I believe it's a two-sided coin. I believe you can... The devils believe and tremble and fear. And listen, they, they know who he is. They believe in him. They don't believe on him, but they believe in him. They know he exists. Matter of fact, uh, any time uh, you see in Scripture when Christ came around, um, in any of, uh, of the cohort of Satan that were involved in anybody's lives, boy, they, they had a rough time of it, and they knew it. Some even said, hey, Jesus we know, Paul we know, but who are you? <laughs> they were aware of Jesus, they were aware of Paul, but there were some people trying to claim stuff, and they said, we don't know you, but we know them. We know especially him. They believed in him, but they'll never believe on him. They don't confess him. They'll never speak that he is Lord. They believe he exists, but... Mm-mm. And that's where most people stop as well. They, they do believe that he exists, but they don't want to believe that he's the only way. And that's what Paul is trying to get his brethren, not brethren in salvation, his brethren in blood. His, the Jewish people, the ones whom his heart is broken for, he's trying to get them to see it's not just a matter of believing he existed. It's not the matter of saying, boy, he was, a, he was really a, a, a really good uh, um, um, uh, teacher and, 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 and leader of people. Boy, he had really good things to say. Boy, I heard him speak one time. Man, it really moved me. That, in the end, that doesn't do it. Because you have to go from the head knowledge and then you have to accept it, believe it in your heart. But then when you believe it, your mouth is going to confess. And, uh, and so it is an act of repentance. And may I say, you're not confessing to man. I'll just kind of get to that. We'll, we'll, we'll just, I'll just rehear, rehearse it all when we get to it later. But you don't confess to man the confession is to God. It's not about speaking out so men can hear you. You don't have to, when you're talking to somebody about salvation, you're talking to somebody about forgiveness God's way, not man's way, but God's way of receiving the forgiveness of sins. It's not about, well, you need to speak it out loud so everybody can hear you. I know people have, who said prayers out loud and, I mean, didn't go anywhere. They said it. It didn't do nothing because it was just words. And then there are those that you never hear a peep out of. That between them and God, they know the conversation that they had. It was a confession confession. 
to the Lord, which is repentance, I believe. So as we're looking at this, let me, let me, let me back up. Now that we've done, hit all around 8, 9, and 10, we'll just come back to it and muddle through it again later. But let's go to verse 1 through verse number 4 and, and look at the, the introduction as a whole to this chapter. Uh, what you see here, like I said, in, in chapter 9, he pours out his heart, his brokenheartedness over those that just refuse to believe who Jesus is and, and, and to admit he's the only way. So he pours out his heart and desire, but then now he presents it again at the beginning of this chapter. At this point in the letter, he now again uh, reveals his desire and even his prayer. Uh, and we see verse 1 through verse number 4, we see four simple things laid out to us. In verse number 1, he says, Brethren, my heart's desire and prayer to God for Israel is that they might be saved. Now, understand, he's not saying, I don't care about the rest of the world. Paul has already said numerous times, we've already seen it as we've gone through from Romans chapter 1 all the way to this point, over and over and over again, Paul constantly says that it is for the Jew first and also the Greek. It is for the Gentile, the Greek and Gentile is all labeled in the same, or you could actually give three titles, Greek, Gentile, and heathen. It's all the same people, all right? It's anybody that is not of the bloodline of the Jewish people. They're instantly considered, matter of fact, most of us in here, if not all of us in here, are um, uh, Greek, Gentile, heathen people, according to the Jewish background. And so... His desire is not, not that he uh, uh, removes his desire for the rest of the world. He's shown that over and over again that he believes that Gentiles are, are to be reached with the gospel and, and have the opportunity. And, and he's, he's telling the Jews, we just got through chapter 9, as he begins to qualify how Gentiles could be accepted and forgiven and, and Jewish people be rejected. And it all comes down to the choice of the individual, not the choice of God. He doesn't pick and choose who can be saved. The individuals pick and choose whether or not they want to trust him. And therefore, there are those who are not of the promise that were actually able to see forgiveness. And those who were of the initial promise as Jewish individuals who are not seeing forgiveness eternally. Why? Because they reject Christ. And so now he comes back around and he says, by the way, let me remind remind you what my heart's desire is. My heart's desire and prayer to God for Israel is that they might be saved. Again, he's also not talking about just being saved from their physical problems, not just being saved from their oppression of things going on or or their being hungry. He's talking about eternal salvation. He's talking about eternal forgiveness. And his desire is if he could have his way all of Israel would see who Christ is and accept him and be saved, be forgiven by God of their sins. So that's his heart's desire. What we see here in verse number one, two things. We see the strength and sincerity of his desire. Uh, note that it, this is, he doesn't just say, my desire is. He said, my heart's desire is. 
Uh, and again, we understand the Bible talks about the heart being a dangerous thing to trust in and rely on. And, you know, it, it's wicked, wicked and deceitful above all, desperately wicked. Who can know it? Okay. And so uh, we understand in, in the, the, the nature of the, the sinful heart of man is wickedness. But the heart of man can go two ways. It can be filled with wickedness. Or it can be filled with holiness. And when my, my desires from my life will reflect what I'm filling my heart with. Uh, I, I, I preached um, at um, men's, that last men's meeting I think we had um, uh, with, with Madison. I, I preached uh, the, uh, the abundance is revealing. Out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaketh. It doesn't just say out of the heart. It says out of the abundance of the heart, which means whatever's flowing out, whatever is in abundance and overflowing, when your mouth speaks, it tells a lot about what's on the inside. It's not just a matter that when, when I'm saying and I'm doing something, and I, and whether, whether it's a, a positive nature that, that uplifts the Lord or it, it's, it's of a neg negative nature that just shows the flesh. Regardless, when I'm speaking or when I do something with my mouth and I, I let things uh, come from, from me in words uh, that I speak, whether for, for the Lord or for the flesh, it reveals what the abundance of the heart is. Because the only reason it's coming out of here is because it's overflowing from here. So we know the heart can be deceitful. The heart can be desperately wicked. But the heart can also be filled with righteousness and holiness from the Lord. What I feed myself is what is produced within. Therefore, as I, as I feast on the word of God and the will of God and the directions of God and the desires that God has, the desires of my heart become reflective of what I'm feeding myself with. So when Paul speaks here of his heart's desire, He's not speaking of a desire. I, I talked to the kids in, I got to hurry up. I was talking to the kids in uh, chapel this morning uh, uh, and we, we, we dealt with uh, a little bit about Samson. Samson's problem was uh, his desires were fleshly. When he was supposed to be consecrated and dedicated to the Lord as one of the Nazarite vow. Supposed to be peculiar, different, set apart. For God's purpose, and yet he lived his life full of self-gratification. Paul, on the other hand, is one that is learning to live his life full of the desire of the Lord. When Samson sought after all those things that he could give himself in the world and wickedness, Paul is seeking after those things which are reflective of the heart of God. So when he says, my heart's desire, he's saying, what God has burdened my heart with for those of my family is that they might be saved. And it's a burden of my heart. And this takes it beyond uh, just being mere words, but the, showing the evidence 
uh, that what he is saying is not just say, yeah, yeah, I really hope that people in Israel get saved. I really hope that people in Israel trust Christ and Christ. No, what he's saying, I am burdened about it. Nothing would make me happier. And because of that, that desire that is reflective of God's desire has now led him to prayer. Note that his heart's desire is mentioned before his prayer is ever spoken. He prays to God out of a broken heart and a desire to see people of the house of Israel accept Christ. My heart's desire and prayer to God for Israel is that they might be saved. Very quickly, I give you these last couple of things. In verse number two, uh, you see the revealing focus. So you, in verse number one, you saw the strength of his sincerity and desire, and I didn't give you this, but, but then you see, secondly, the offering up of that desire to God through prayer. And then verse two and verse number three, you see the revealed focus of Israel's zeal. Paul speaks very plainly, and he doesn't badger them. He says, you're full of zeal. Man, y- y'all have got a lot of zeal. You're zealous. But here's the problem. Here's what he says. For I bear them record. Who? Israel, the house of Israel. Anybody who's a Jew, I bear them record that they have a zeal of God. They've got a zeal. It's there. I've seen it. But not according to knowledge. They have a zeal according to religious instruction, but it's not according to truthful knowledge. Their zeal is there. If we can just get that zeal on the right track, man, it's going to take off. And they have, to, they have a, a great zeal. They said, I'm not going not to say they don't. They have it. The problem is it's got a wrong focus. And it says, verse number three, for they being ignorant of God's righteousness and going about to establish their own righteousness have not submitted themselves under the righteousness of God. They have a zeal of God, but they completely ignore truth. They're trying to, here he goes back again, just like we saw in chapter 9. They're, they're trying to earn their own righteousness while failing to acknowledge if they'll just look. God offers his righteousness to them. And they're trying to make their own. They're trying to build their own. And by the way, I don't know if you've ever noticed, but uh, anything you do for yourself pales in comparison to what God can do, no matter what it is. You can save up, make it happen, and buy yourself the car you want, and you can end up with a lemon. Brand new lemon. All that money. And yet God can give you the same car or even better and make it last where the wheels won't even hardly go. I had a vehicle one time. I had a truck. I, I'll, I'll be honest with you. 
I, had, I put probably triple the miles on those tires that they should have had. I went back to a, to a guy who put the tires on when I finally went to have them replaced, and it had been years. And I had traveled all over the place with Rock of Ages, back and forth from, from Louisiana down, down Livingston, Louisiana, all the way up into North, uh, North Tennessee, and, and all over up in there, back and forth, every two weeks, two weeks home, two weeks there, two weeks home, two weeks there. Drove the same vehicle back and forth. I mean, years of driving and traveling miles upon miles, hundreds and thousands of miles uh, on the vehicle. And, uh, and I went back for, to, to get some tires because it was about time to get some tires. <laughs> He's like, are these the same ones I put on? He's like, you should have replaced these years ago. What is it? God can do better for me than I can do for myself. And Paul wants him to see that. Listen, you're trying, to, you're trying to establish your own righteousness and you're completely ignoring that God has righteousness that he wants to give if you'll just do it his way through Christ. Here's the last thing we're done. Verse number four. It says, for Christ is the end of the law for righteousness to everyone that believeth. He points and says, you're trying your own way and you're ignoring that God is offering righteousness. And then he says, now here's what happens. Here is the change that trusting Christ makes. You go from trying to make it happen for yourself to finally realizing that Christ is the end of the law. When you meet Christ, you meet the end of you having to try to do it for yourself. And you place your faith and trust in the only one who can do it for you. And you give him your faith. And you place your trust in him. And God imputes to you his righteousness instead of you trying to come up with your own. Which, by the way, the best you can do is filthy rags. Paul just says, listen, my heart's desire and prayer is that Israel would realize the one they keep rejecting. The one he just ended in the previous chapter, the one that they make a stumbling stone. They trip over him because they just can't seem to get rid of him, but they don't want him there. He is the only way. Christ is the end of you having to try to do it your way and try to, try to make it your own way. It's just place your faith and trust in him, God's way. And God gives you the righteousness you can never earn for yourself. Forgiveness of sins. That's four verses. Well, actually, we hit a few others before that, but through verse number four there, we'll hit some more later. But um, Romans just keeps giving and giving and giving. When you understand all the pieces and parts and the players in what's going on in that time frame and in that letter being written and to who it was written to and you see all that's going on, the vast amount of truth that we can glean even for ourselves seeing what Paul was trying to help them see is powerful. Let's pray and then we'll, we'll move forward. It's already been too late.